Hey everyone, I'm Dave Sandell. And I'm Caleb Gardner. And this is the Best Album 4 podcast, a podcast where we talk about the best album for jumping in a lake. Caleb, it's a listener request day. It is. It's a very special listener, too. A very special listener who I happen to be married to, just coincidentally. <laughs> coincidentally. And uh, and the, the topic that we're choosing today is uh, also very real in your life. Yeah, it was inspired by something that we've been doing on Friday mornings in Chicago called Friday Morning Swim Club. So shout out to something that's just like super fun and pretty dumb, but like joyful in a way that adult experiences, you know, aren't really yeah. usually joyful. It's like adults at play is the best way I would describe it. And literally all it is, is this guy started inviting his friends to come jump in Lake Michigan at 7 a.m. on thir- on Friday morning with him. And it started becoming so popular, he turned it into a thing, which is called Friday Morning Swim Club. And now 2,000 people do it every Friday, Dave. It's insane how many people just show up just to like with their floaties and like ridiculous outfits and all this and just jump into Lake Michigan just for fun. And how long do you stay in the lake? Not usually very long. Like, obviously, you can stay in as long as you want, but people have to, like, get out and go to work and all that. So I'd say most people, like, will kind of float there and chat with people for 15, 20 minutes, but then, mm-hmm. like, get out and continue, like, just hanging out with people on, on the, you know, uh, at Montrose Pier, which is where it happens. Um, but we have had a blast there. We've met some fun people. We've invited friends and done it with them. I mean, it's just become a whole party like in the mornings and it's just like they specifically encourage you to meet new people and to Mm -hmm. make it like a community feel. Last time we were there, there was a guy like selling breakfast sandwiches out of his bike. I was like, this is the smartest hustle I've ever seen. (laughs) They've got free coffee. You know, it's just it's fun. It's it's such a again, just such a joyful thing that like adults don't usually get to just play. Do you usually jump in with the same folks? Yeah, well, well, obviously, my wife is usually who I'm jumping in with, but depending sure. on who we've had. We do have a debate about um, whether or not you should jump in first. So there's like a whole line of people. This is part of the fun. There's a whole line of people waiting to be the first in, and they do a 1090, you know, they do a whole countdown, and then everyone jumps in together. Uh-huh. So there's some fun about like being that in that first wave. Yeah. Um, but we've done it. We've done it lots of ways. We've done it in the first wave. We've also waited a little bit for it to clear out because there's only so many like ladders to get out. So like it's like this joyful community experience, and then you get up to the ladder, and it's like Hunger Games where people are like knocking each other over trying to get out because <laughs> they're like get panicky. The waves are throwing you around, and there's sure. only so many people who can get up the ladder at a time. Um, so we've also like waited for it to be less crazy and then jumped in, but. It's, it doesn't matter how you do it. It's fun all around. So when you wake up on Friday mornings, are you like, are you pumped? Are you like excited? Or is every week you're like, ah, <laughs> this again? And then you get there and it's fun. I would say that my wife is a dedicated, um, has a dedicated lust for life. That is a wave that I tend to ride as a, um, a noted curmudgeon. So <laughs> Thursday nights, She's like, yeah, swim club Friday morning. And I'm like, oh, God, really? I've got so much to do tomorrow. I'm so tired. (laughs) And then inevitably, I just, you know, again, ride her enthusiasm and get there and end up having a blast. 
So you've you've been doing this for like three months now, right? Um, well, I mean, we've been out of town some months, so I'd, I'd say on and off for about six weeks or so. Okay, so you've you've jumped in six times. Yeah, something like that, five okay. six times. And what would you say, like, if you were going to pitch it to somebody, like, why you should come out and do this thing? What would be your elevator pitch? So two reasons, Dave. One. I always like trying new things and new experiences. Like I, I get motivated by the idea of doing something I haven't done. So that first okay. time going to Friday morning swim club, I'm like, awesome. This sounds great. Love it. Get the Instagram content. Get the memories. We're there. Um, but the, the other times is when I need like to ride my wife's enthusiasm about like why I like doing this. Because after I've gotten the memories, I'm like, Okay, been there, done that. The novelty isn't what's driving me. So if you're a person that likes novelty, definitely try it. But I would say the benefit of continuing to go is you meet new people. There aren't a lot of adult experiences anymore where you really get to like build community by seeing the same people at the same place, right? So this this is helpful for that. And I would say that like it is just such a refreshing way to start the day to do something with that kind of intentionality that you specifically set aside for fun. Like it's not just, there's a lot of things we do as adults that are for our health, that are like things we make ourselves do. Working out, famously, famously, we had an episode that was about working out when you don't want to, right? Yeah, sure. I would say that this is a thing you can make yourself do that is just for the pure joy of it and you will not regret it. So I would say I when I was approaching this, this is kind of going to be our last like big summer episode, right? Like, yeah, there's nothing else on the docket that's going to be like kind of a pure summer experience. I'm assuming this doesn't go year round. This isn't like a polar bear plunge thing, right? This is a summertime. No, experience. yeah, I think it goes till like end of September, which is you know it's it's into the fall, but definitely not yeah. into like icy cold water. <laughs> well, and how Chicago's been the last few years, it's probably going to be super warm still. As I was approaching this episode, I'm obviously not doing Friday morning swim club. Uh, so I had to choose, like, am I imagining what Caleb's going through when he jumps in the lake? Or am I just picturing <laughs> any lake jumping experience? And what I landed on was, because it's a summertime thing, uh, any lake jumping experience will do, but ideally with, like, community. Like, that feels like the piece that, that I most was drawn to. Like, it's not just you jumping in a lake. It's you and some friends or a lot of friends or... You know, and it's sort of this like in my imagination, this big refreshing experience um, that kind of gets yeah. your adrenaline up and and makes you want to embrace life and embrace summer uh, as much as you yeah. can. Is that kind of where you went to? Yeah, I think that's exactly where I went. Maybe we should call the episode title "Best Album for Jumping in the Lake with Friends." So there's like that community element because I I thought the exact same thing. Tell me about your criteria as you waded through the options for jumping in a lake. There was definitely um, like what a sounds of summer vibe for sure. I mean, jumping in a lake is a uniquely summer experience. I think we can agree on that unless you live in a different part of the country. But, you know, we don't live in a part of the country where you can jump into a lake for all four seasons or even even more than one season. Let's be honest. Um, it is a question to me, like, does the music that makes me want to embrace summer, does it make people in California, like, embrace the weather year round? Or is there still something special <laughs> yeah, about right. summer? That's a good question. <laughs> maybe maybe the music to embrace sunshine? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I would love to hear 
from one of our listeners in California, of which I know we have hundreds, does the sunshine in December make you listen to music differently than the sunshine in July? I feel yeah. like you're not experiencing a full range of life. That is the case against being in California, I guess. <laughs> the lack um, of seasons. Yeah. You, your weather is too good, actually, in the last <laughs> few years. Probably wouldn't make that argument, but that's neither here nor there. Um, no, I think that it was sound of summer, sunshine, and water. Like, there was something about, like, hmm. just the... I don't know if it's, like, feeling like you want to be on a boat, maybe, or, like, you know, there's just some vibes i don't know even how to describe it that you associate with being in and around water i don't even know where to put my finger on that other than when you hear it you're like yes do you know what i mean so are you like all yacht rock all the time yacht rock yes (laughs) that actually would be a great pairing for this episode yes um (laughs) yeah i mean i went to my go-to genre which is yacht rock no um I think I went through a lot of my sounds of summer kind of albums and felt mm. and felt like which one feels the most right for like being in and around that community and kind of jumping in the lake together. Well, since you've had this experience so many times, I'd like you to kick us off. So what's your best album for jumping in a lake with friends? All right. I picked the 2014 album Singles by Future Islands. Always one of my go-to summer picks, to be honest. Also just a really great album. Like, definitely one of my favorite albums, um, especially for summertime, but I think in general. Which is funny because I've never really gotten into a lot of Future Island's catalog. So Mm -hmm. let me back up and just say, Singles came out in 2014. It was the fourth album for Future Island's, which is wild to me. And as I understand it, was one of their most successful, and a lot of it came off the back of this really intense, super fun performance of the title track, or the, uh, not the title track, of the first track, Seasons Waiting on You, on Letterman in March of 2014. I remember this um, in real time. Not not real time, you? like, not real time, like, watching Letterman, but oh, real time watching, watching the YouTube clip, like, the yes. next day or whatever. Yeah, that's what I thought you were to say is that you actually watched it in real time. That'd be amazing. But yeah, I watched the YouTube clip afterward, too. And honestly, I don't really go for the late night talk show performances in general. Like there's a few that stick out in my mind, but they mostly happen exactly like you've talked about, where like people are talking about them the next day and you got to go back and watch. Um, And even then I'm kind of like, yeah, it's fine. But the reason I bring up this performance, because this actually... I think got them a lot more play of this album than they would have had otherwise and kind of skyrocketed them past the, what they, you know, the acclaim that they had reached and the, the, I guess, heights that they had reached with the first three albums. So just to bring people in, that, that performance was so indelible because the lead singer was so intensely dancing and he's got this kind of like, I don't know how to describe him, he's got this kind of like, not biker vibe, but like, he just looks like a short stout Italian yes. man or something like yes. just not, not the type of guy you would imagine fronting this band. And, you know, he's got a great voice. It's this, you know, this low baritone voice, but then his dancing is so intensely alive and, yes. and, and weird 
um, that I think Dave Letterman just like watching this guy fully give himself over to this to this performance uh, and, and just like throwing caution in the wind and dancing like no one was watching uh, was such a joy. Like there was such joy in this music that I don't 100% know. I mean, it's there. Like there's lots of joy in this music for sure. But I can't separate it from that performance or like from other performances <laughs> I've seen. So yeah. when I think of Future Islands, I think like I think of him dancing <laughs> as part yes. of like the joy bomb of Future Islands. So if yeah. you haven't seen it, you should go go watch that video. And I think that joy bomb is, is that part of that community. Like, like we talked about there's something dumb and fun about like showing up with this really stupid float with a bunch of other adults at 7 a.m. in the morning. Like I think it was that lack of inhibition that made me like go to this album um, mm. and pick it. And I think that is just... Okay, so let's let's go back and say that the, his actual name is Samuel T. Herring. Um, he has not only a distinct dancing. If you have again, go back and watch this video because his dancing is so good. The only the only comparison I can think of is like if you watch Tom York dancing yeah, and you're like 100%. this skinny little white man has no business having this much soul. Um, <laughs> like it's kind of like that. He kind of looks like your uncle at your bat mitzvah, and he's just going <laughs> at it, after it. I don't know how to describe it, but it's so um, it's so appealing to watch. And and his voice itself is so unique. Like he's just got this like raspy. It's oh god, I don't even know how to describe it. Like if you go if you go to go to listen to Future Islands and just tell me that you're not enraptured by even his sound. <laughs> like it is just so unique, and it's combined with this these unique synth grooves that they are very like very endemic to their sound. Um, and again, I should say that I'm not that familiar with their catalog before this, but I am familiar with their catalog after this. And they definitely double down on that synth sound and mm. his voice as like very distinct in a way that I actually think eventually kind of became a little repetitive for me. Yeah, you know how we that. talked about the national and we said like the first like boxer and um, what's the one that came Violet. after it? Yes, high violet. boxer and high violet, and we were like, "Yes, awesome!" And then it was like more of the same, and then they gave us more of the same, and you're like, "Ah, oh, more of the same." That's kind of how I felt about yeah. Future Islands, where I was like, "Oh yeah, this is this is I guess the same stuff after single." This is their this is their move, yeah. Which is a bummer because I would maybe argue that every single song on singles has like a great melody. They're they're really good songwriters. Yeah. Uh, it's it's surprising to me. That this wasn't a repeatable success. I mean, I what became of Future Islands? Do they they're still putting out albums? Were they popular? They are. are they popular? They are. But uh, as and again, this is just my understanding of them. But like, I don't think anything is quite hit like singles hit in terms of the whole mm-hmm. album. And I also don't think the albums themselves were quite as coherently good. Like, there's definitely a few singles they've put out since then that I've been really into. Um. Most recently, there was one that they did called King of Sweden. I think that came out late last year, maybe even okay. early last year. But I really liked that. I mean, again, I can pick to some songs that I've really enjoyed since they, since singles. But singles just feel so coherently good in a way that, like, I mean, it's called singles. It's almost like they knew this. Every song has, a, like, its own hook, its own, could be its own single. Like, I think that's basically what they're hinting at, right? I was never clear on that because, you know, singles, the the uh, the album title would immediately lead you to believe that this is some kind of greatest itch package 
Uh, oh, like there was there are plenty of albums called singles uh, that are a collection of everybody's singles. Yeah, uh, you know, I I I am like way out of my depth on Future Islands, which is weird because I, I like them a lot, <laughs> or at least I like this <laughs> album a lot. Yeah, me too. Like I think that's what it comes down to to me is I really liked this band when this album came out, and I thought, oh my god, I love this album front to back, and expected them to have a lot of more staying power and they just haven't had that much staying power for me but i think this album is close to perfect i think if you start to dig into like again the opening track seasons is the one that he was dancing is i don't know uh exactly is like uncle at a bot bits for heine off um but spirit is really great doves has this like really catchy groove i mean you could pick out almost any song on here actually i think i will just say you could pick out any song on here and i would i would love it so let's pick one for the listeners i mean i love sun in the morning that's my favorite track on this oh yes Uh, what what's your what are your go-to's doves is probably one of my favorites sun in the morning definitely one of my favorites I also just really like like the moon as this like under undercurrent groove. She looks like the moon. She says it's your eye. It's really hard to choose, honestly. Like I just think front to back, this album is so much fun. Seasons waiting on you. I mean, yeah. That song a, was yeah. that song was so omnipresent. Uh, it was it was hard yeah. to escape. That I, I find myself like not coming back to it as much, but man, what a oh, song! Like what a what a what a wonderful summer. I mean, any any summer mixtape that I would ever make would have to have seasons on it, because uh, it just yeah. feels like okay, the sun is out, everything is thawing. Let's exactly. jump in the lake. The So to me, this is like a perfect summer album, and it's definitely my pick for jumping in the lake for sure. I just think it's it's such goofy fun in a way that I think <laughs> Samuel will, would be happy for us to be having. So my pick is is kind of along the same line. It's another band that has kind of the same vibe. Although I was actually shocked when you said this was a 2014 album. I would have guessed this was a much earlier album. Uh, I had forgotten that this came out oh, after my sons were born. Um, but uh, my pick today is Hot Fuss by The Killers. Which is the album with Mr. Brightside, Somebody Told Me, All These Things I've Done, mm-hmm. Smile Like You Mean It. Uh, there's this radio term called radio-friendly unit shifters. Nirvana famously wrote a song about radio-friendly unit shifters. Uh, these guys know how to write a radio-friendly unit shifter. And yeah, no uh, this album, which I don't like very much, like it's it's kind <laughs> oh, of in that poison vibe. Twist. I don't love The Killers. I don't even love this album, but I hear it and suddenly I'm just ready to run outside. Like there's something that's happening here that is like this this perfect alchemy of like post punk uh, meets like big anthemic arena rock uh, and and I don't know exactly how to put my finger on it but they just know how to write like 
a big hit. <laughs> yeah. And this album is kind of like six big hits and then a bunch of filler. But the filler even kind of sounds like summer. Like the filler doesn't bother me because it's still like if somebody put this on uh, at a pool party or something, I'd be happy to listen to the whole thing because the whole thing sounds like summer. There's a long history of like great timeless pop hooks sort of shouldered by a half dozen filler songs. There's yeah. you know no shortage of albums in history. And so I don't necessarily want to ding them for like six filler songs. Like there's there's albums that I love by like Stone Temple Pilots that are like six killer tracks and then like a half dozen filler tracks. And, you know, yep. if I would have listened to this in the 90s and would have been forced to not skip anything, then I would have probably loved all the filler tracks. I just so happened to come out in 2004 when I could just skip ahead <laughs> and just grab those nice. six songs, you know, and toss them, toss them in a uh, toss them in a playlist. But Brandon Flowers uh, is the lead singer here. He's mining the same ground as like Interpol and The Strokes, kind of this post-punk thing. But it's just a few years later. It's a few years after those guys, and they aren't bringing anything new. <laughs> like they are just like retreading the same soil uh, that all of these other bands had already done, and yet they've had this really big, long career with like lots of hits, and, and they they still sell out arenas, um, which is shocking to me. Because <laughs> there's I feel like, like they sell out arenas on the strength of Mr. Brightside alone. Like I feel like people just want to go right. and sing that song. Because I right? think catchy pop hooks have a place. Like they have a place. And honestly, that place is summer. <laughs> like yeah. catchy pop hooks totally. are, are best reserved for like summer playlists. When you're like at the pool and Mr. Brightside comes on, you're so happy because it's going to be followed by The weekend and Harry Styles and Andrew <laughs> That's right. And it's going to be great. They're all going to be awesome because uh, they're just these like indelible pop hooks. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, there's not a whole lot going on here. Like there's actually, so there's this band called Duran Duran uh, that I love and, and probably most of our listeners love this band um, called Duran Duran as if they are, but like I'm worried that I feel like Duran Duran has not aged. Well, like I don't feel like people listen to Duran Duran really? who are younger than me. Is that not true? That's, I mean, that's probably true, but I feel like they were like such a massive band in the eighties. Like you couldn't, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's one of those that didn't didn't fly that much under the radar, right? No, no, no. They're a huge, massive band. A massive band. Like, maybe one of the yeah. biggest bands of the 80s. And Agreed. yet, I never hear anybody talk about Duran Duran, or I never hear anybody bring it up. Anyway, uh, Duran yeah, Duran is def- definitely doesn't seem like they've had history. that much staying power. I'll give, you, I'll give you that much. But my larger point is that I feel like the Killers are just doing Duran Duran, but worse. Like they're, they're kind of doing Duran Duran's Rio, uh, which is like this perfect summer album, but it sounds kind of dated. And I feel like when you lips, when you put it on, it kind of pulls the mood of the party towards itself because it like suddenly we're back in the 80s. It's an album that is located so squarely in the 80s that there's like this production quality or I'm not entirely sure what, what to attribute this to, but there's this production quality uh, that just screams 80s. And I feel like the killers are just updating Duran Duran. But Duran Duran were geniuses. And, you know, Brandon Flowers is like Bush. I don't know. Like, I like Bush. <laughs> Bush is a great band. They're guilty pleasure. <laughs> but is oh, the killers man. anybody's favorite record? I love these I love these episodes where I just trash a band. That I know. I the like. band that you picked. <laughs> <laughs> Because it sounds like it sounds like summer. <laughs> I, I I never made that Duran Duran connection before, but you're totally right. My, the Killers to me were always like 
taking that post-punk early 2000s out of Brooklyn sound, but making it like arena rock. Like taking that, like what the Strokes did in this like super tight format and just kind of like blowing it up and making it sing along songs. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like the the Strokes and Interpol, there's all these bands that were basically doing, yeah, yeah. It's like there are these bands who are Mm -hmm. doing the same thing as what the Killers would later do. So I guess my question, the reason I wanted to talk about uh, Hot Fuss by the Killers is I want to ask you a question. So, and this kind of plays along with Future Islands too. I think there's something about the production quality of music made since like, at least since 2000, maybe even since the 90s, but more more 2000, that feels timeless. And not in like, a, this is a classic sort of way, but just in a way that like, I don't know that the Future Island sounds like 2014. I'm not mm. sure the Killers sound like 2004, but I do know that if those songs came out today, they would they would fit in with our current pop landscape. Like yeah, they probably. would they would feel like okay, yeah, this is another another song. Whereas like the 80s sheen and like that 80s synths and those 80 production qualities uh, that make you know all the Cure records that I love so much, but all the Cure records sound like 80s records, you know. Even bands like R.E.M. who are just geniuses, you know, those albums sound like the 80s. And I can't tell, is that like, is that me? Is that just me? Like, am I just being picky? I listen to like, you know, Led Zeppelin and that sounds like the 70s. And I listen to the Beatles and it sounds like the 60s. And I feel like bands don't do that anymore. Like Arcade Fire just kind of sounds like they've always been around. And, you Mm. know, there's nothing like music hasn't moved on. Maybe rock music hasn't moved on much since like 2000. And, and I guess I wanted to yeah. ask you, like, what is it about these bands that makes them, that gives them more staying power? Like if, if, you know, if hot, if, if Mr. Brightside comes up in a playlist at a pool, nobody would be like, oh man, this is such a throwback. But you know, if, if Hungry Like the Wolf did, everybody would be like, oh man, what a throwback. So what is the, what is happening there? Cause we are a really, we're far away from 2004. This is a 20 year old record almost. And it yeah, doesn't sound 20 years old. What do you attribute that to? The only thing I can attribute to is the Killers definitely rode the like wave into digital media and streaming. Mm, I think Future Islands was 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 placed right in it. You know, like they they were they achieved fame when we were already carrying around the world's library of music in our pockets, and yep. but the Killers were like at the beginning of that evolution. Do you know what I mean? Like I had yeah. Hot Fuss on an, on my iPod, if I remember right, and I had a CD of it, which I never, you know, yeah. obviously never have that anymore. Right. So I think they were right on the cusp of the digital media revolution in a way that just made everyone's options infinite and made mm. time mean nothing. And let me give you an example of this. The TV shows that my like wife reports back that her high school students are watching, guess what they are? They're The Office. Oh, yeah, sure. They're Friends. They're like reruns of yeah. shows we watched in real time. It's wild to me. Yeah. So my hypothesis of that is that now that our options for content are endless, not just about music, but especially about music, that we choose from whatever decade, whatever, you know, like we stream everything from infinite amount of time and what's new if we're like paying attention Mm -hmm. to it, you know? 
I mean, my son's favorite music right now is like, he's talking to me about like Radiohead and Kendrick Lamar and like, again, like stuff yeah. that is not like contemporary to him. You know what right. I mean? Right. Like they're still making music, but it's not, they're not at their peak anymore. I mean, right. I, Radiohead is always at their peak. They're perpetually at their peak, but they're not at their peak <laughs> of their popularity. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, it's just, I think that, I think that the idea of, yeah, of like people even having their peak is not quite what it used to be. Like, I definitely think people still peak, but I think it just, it has, if it has cultural staying power, it has cultural staying power. Do you know what I mean? How much of that is an albums versus a singles thing? <clears throat> I wonder. I think like, it's definitely I, more of a we, singles thing. That kind of all happened simultaneously where streaming becomes a huge thing and albums start to go by the wayside. I mean, yep. you know, something like singles where every song is, 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 I think, thoughtfully crafted and there's not a lot of filler on singles in my mind uh, as opposed to hot fuss where I think that there's, you know, like uh, Andy, you're a star is basically like Fred's got slacks taken to its full potential. There's a guy named Fred and he's got a pair of slacks. Ooh, Fred's got slacks. (laughs) I don't know if you know this sketch. Fred's got slacks. Uh, the Garth Brooks, Will Ferrell, Saturday Night Live sketch. If you don't go look at it, but it basically sounds like Fred's got slacks just, you know, kind of, Fleshed out a little bit. Take shut up, take shut up, yeah. On the field, I remember you were. And Fred's got slacks. While being a winner in the in the sketch is not a winner, <laughs> not a winner of a song. So it's crazy to me that it kind of fits in this course of this album. But I don't think anybody's ever meant to like hold on to Andy or a star. I don't know that yeah. Andy or a star is meant to be like a song that people you know listen to for the rest of their life and, and really love deeply. But I, yeah. I do, you, do you feel like this with the nineties? Do you feel like nineties has a production quality that feels like the nineties? I feel like I'm too close to it. <laughs> like this, it's just the music I grew up with. And so I can't tell if nineties music has that same two thousands quality or if it has an eighties quality or if it's just a transition era and like the two thousands have nineties production, but with kind of a, no, I mean, I more think there's sound. I think so many, so obviously we're both too close to the 90s, I think, to really have sure. uh, uh, an accurate... Listeners um, know this well. Yes. <laughs> but I think the 90s, to me, there isn't just one 90s sound. I think that's what's so hard about it. Like, there were certain things that made... I mean, even the 80s, when you say, like, 80s sound, you're talking about, like, you're talking about the synths, but you're also talking about hair bands and, like, hair metal bands, right? right? Like, Absolutely. you're talking about early yep. hip-hop. You're talking about, like... Yep. So... It's like within with the genres and subgenres, there were distinct sounds in specific decades. And so yeah. the 90s to me is like grunge, but also like Tupac and Biggie era hip hop. Um, you know, we talked about yeah. Missy Elliott and Timbaland and some of that stuff is yeah. going into late 90s, early 2000s. Like there's certain, there are certain sounds that are very 90s that definitely I think hear a resurgence. Um, you know, like my... You know that I love Indigo D'Souza. She leans into that grunge mm. angle quite a bit, and I think yeah. in, in a way that I think sounds very '90s. Um, so there, it does have a resurgence. I think, I definitely think the it's fascinating to me how much the '80s has returned in terms of how people are leaning on that stuff. I do agree mm. with you. I don't know what it is about like the. Maybe it is about how much of that sound was made electronically in a way that people well, still resonate with. It's interesting because you know, Futurizing is a great 
I'm talking about Future Islands way more than the killers. <laughs> Future Islands is a great litmus test for this because they're so synth heavy. And yeah. so was Duran Duran. You know, like there's a lot yep. of synths kind of across the board in, in 80s music. But 80s music does not sound like 2014 music. But 2014 music does sound like 2004 music in my mind. And, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm willing to be wrong about this. But I feel like there's kind of this, I don't even know. It's like this lumped thing that's happened where I don't know if maybe it's just production quality, like just the, the sheen or the, the, uh, the kind of the, the wash that producers are or aren't putting over albums anymore. Um, and I, I, I don't know enough about the history of music, you know, uh, production to understand why those things change, but it feels like to me, at least it feels like it hasn't changed much since 2000. Like we're just in stasis. Yeah, and as a result, these things feel timeless. Like Mr. Brightside does not, I mean, I, I put this on a couple of days ago and it's immediate and it's, it's so fun. You know, like this is a, it's just a, all these, all these things that I've done, you know, like there's just such a cool. I love that song actually. That's probably my favorite. You know you gotta help me out. Yeah. Don't you put me on the back burner. You know you gotta help me it's like out. such a build song. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's just got its own vibe and its own style, but it also feels like, man, it could have come out at any point in the last 20 years. And that's new. Like, I, I don't experience any music before 2000 as, like, could have come out two years ago or something like that. Ah, so interesting. Um, and so I think these, you know, these kind of... Well, I want to talk about something else, too. But I think with you know bands like The Killers, um, there's just a quality to them that uh, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, immediately screams summer, immediately screams, like, let's go jump in a lake. And, and also is like just a fun party record and it doesn't draw attention to itself. And I, I, I just can't get over how Duran Duran it sounds. And yet Duran Duran <laughs> does not sound like a record I could put on without turning a few heads, you know, in a positive yeah. way, maybe, you know, like Duran Duran comes That's on true. and I'm super happy about it, but it's definitely like, cool. We're listening to an eighties record, you know? Yeah. The only thing I can think about is that it is, it happened right around the advent of streaming. And I do feel like to your point about like, rock music maybe not like kind of being stuck a little bit i think that there was some there's been in more innovation in other genres i think because of streaming and because of these like genre walls kind of falling down and people kind of learning cross genre and i think it in some ways rock never like doesn't know how to move beyond that in terms of integrating other sounds but other other genres know how to integrate what rock does do you know what i mean i do i absolutely yeah. do Anyway, so one other thing I want to talk about uh, with Hot Fuss, and you might not agree, you might think this is a great record front to back, but do you think that a record that has like half filler can be a best album for Candidate? I mean, we have both suggested records that we don't necessarily love, so I feel like it can be a best album for Candidate because a specific a specific um, like scenario would call for that. I don't know that it can be a canon candidate. <laughs> well, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That makes sense. Because I, just to ease everyone's mind, also don't think Hot Fuss is, like, amazing. But I do think it has some amazing tracks. Uh, so Hot Fuss, not in my canon. Um, some of these songs, still not in my singles canon. But, you know, there's always going to have a place on Summer Playlist for me. Hot Fuss, also not in my canon, but singles, I think, would be. Yeah, I'm right on the edge. Right on the edge. 
It's like stuck with you. You you listen to Future Islands a lot, right? I listen to this album a lot. I listen to this album at least every summer. Like it's become, this is the Mariah Carey's Christmas album of my summer. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Well, then it has to go in the canon for sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, so let's talk about honorable mentions. Obviously, Duran Duran's Rio is something I thought about doing. The other one that I, I think I probably should have picked because it'd be a, a more fun conversation. I just don't know if I'm the right person to talk about it. Is Taylor Swift's 1989? <laughs> uh, who you know, I'm not. I'm not the expert on Taylor Swift. <laughs> I'm not a Swifty. Uh, I, I appreciate Taylor Swift a lot. I think that she's an amazing songwriter, an amazing performer. Um, I can I can certainly get my head around why people are deeply, deeply drawn to her. Um, but I just worry that me talking about Taylor Swift for a half hour wasn't going to go very well. So I need to like do a deep dive into Taylor Swift before I try to get on here and talk about her for a half hour. But that record, 1989, was kind of her first pop record right. after kind of making the move out of country. And uh, man, it's just one awesome track after another. Like every single song on that album uh, is so good. And it all sounds like summer to me. Uh, and I strongly considered doing some Taylor Swift time today. We need to have a separate Taylor Swift dedicated episode at some point because I, um, I so that people can yell at me for being kind of a Taylor Swift detractor because I think that she is. Oh. Well, here's the thing. I think she's an amazing performer. I think she's an uh-huh. okay songwriter. And okay. that most of her songs, not all of them, most of them are overhyped and like, it's kind of where she's gotten a little bit too big to fail, where it, like now huh. a song just just people love it because she did it instead of it being actually a good song. And I can maybe get there with this most re- recent album, but I am not with you <laughs> on, on her catalog. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, and don't get me wrong, I, I respect anyone who basically like writes all of their own music, and like for that, I will respect her infinitely, and I think she's an amazing performer. It's just sometimes I hear her songs and I'm go- and I really go, this, you know, like I kind of have that reaction. <laughs> <laughs> we need to find a third person to come on our probably not another man yes, uh, to come yeah, on our our, our podcast and just do an episode that's like best album for getting into Taylor Swift. Oh uh, God, yes, that would be so good. I really actually want to do that. I want to find an entry point. It'd be really fun. There are multiple Taylor Swift podcasts. Oh, I bet. I bet. Let's start a Taylor Swift podcast reaction podcast at some point where we just react to all their episodes. (laughs) We will get so many listeners. Oh my God. I just got so much hate mail just for that one comment. Anyway, we will, uh, we will circle back on that. So So 1989, probably my actual pick for best album, Jump in the Lake, but I'm going to save it for another time. Uh, I'm going to save it for another time because I need to do like, I, I was a little sick this week. So the idea of doing like, a deep dive into Taylor Swift before this episode was just wasn't going to happen. I love that you you couldn't do Taylor Swift while you were sick. It's just not honoring her. I could do Radiohead <laughs> in my sleep. I can't do Taylor Swift on on this That's level so of illness. Uh, I thought about Japan Droids, uh, Celebration Rock. I thought about Nelly's yeah, self-titled uh, because Nelly brings me right back to oh, I love that album early too. Thousands, late nineties. Thought about It's Blitz by Yeah Yeah Yes. Yep. All, all, great all strong albums. picks. All better albums than Hot Fuss, <laughs> which is my pick today. And yet, because those four Hot tracks, Puss. I love those that. four tracks, man. I mean, again, Mr. Brightside. Anytime it comes on, you just get a crowd of people singing it, right? Like, it's just, absolutely. I it's yeah. a karaoke gem. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, so some of my honorable mentions were. Um, I have you ever heard the two thousand 
hip hop album by Jurassic Five, Quality Control. Absolutely. I, I love this album, it, and it reminds me of driving around in the summer in college. Um, and that's I think that's why I associate it strongly with summer. But like, there's just some really fun kind of old school hip hop jams on this album. Um, I also thought of like De La Soul or like some of the other ones that kind of have this like actually like they kind of have the late 80s hip-hop vibe but like there's also just late 80s hip-hop <laughs> like you could just you just go to the source for that um that's definitely one of my outer roll mentions the, so going out of the hip-hop genre um there are some other kind of indie pop albums that i would love to like play while like jumping into any kind of body of water with friends um there's a great album 2019 album called the dots by the band alaska alaska do you know this man? I don't, know them. No, I don't even know no. if I'm saying that name right because the name is so ridiculous. Um, but it's a super fun album. Like anything that's kind of like light and poppy, I think would be a good uh, good addition to this. Yeah. yeah, solid choices. I need to check that out. That's fun. All right. Uh, well, we're gonna do what are we listening to this week? So I just spent a little bit of time in California, uh, and there are some records that just hit differently in California. Uh, and I don't <laughs> always know like what the common denominator is because like one of those albums for me is Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. And you know I know that uh, Lindsey Buckingham is not from California. It's you know he's a Brit <laughs> through and through. Um, but I also know that other members of the band are from California, so maybe there's something to it. Uh, but I listen to Rumors just over and over. Uh, any chance that I had, you know, for some reason, whenever I was like on my own driving or something like that, I just wanted to listen to rumors. It was like the air made me listen to rumors. And I don't <laughs> entirely the know air. what to attribute that to. It's amazing. But something about California just made rumors sound so much better. Uh, so Fleetwood Mac's rumors has been heavy in my playlist this week. Um, I'm not a huge Fleetwood Mac guy. I wouldn't like call them, you know, a band that I return to for, for very often. So I don't entirely know what what that was about uh i'm curious if other people ever have that experience but you know dreams and the chain go your own way these all these songs just sound better yeah actually um, with I the could ocean see air that. i could 100 percent see that <laughs> you know there's other bands like, like the eagles of course sound like california i kind of like dip into the past that's more. a little too on the nose hotel california sure. i mean it's like hey man yeah, L.A. is nothing if not on the nose. Let me <laughs> tell you that much. That is very fair. That's <laughs> <laughs> very fair. And last time we were out in L.A., I drove around listening to Father of the Bride by Vampire Weekend. I kind of associate L.A. with that album now. But I, it kind of uh, yeah. worked. I can see that. I don't, don't, don't want to say. Like, I don't, it just it definitely kind of worked. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, Red Hot Chili Peppers is another one. Like, I had to oh, listen to yeah. Californication like, while I was in L.A. They're like the unofficial band of L.A., aren't they? Like, I feel like... That's true. I feel like half of their songs are about L.A. <laughs> I am so colored now by the, the show The Good Place about Red Hot Chili Peppers. Do you know the ongoing Red Hot Chili Peppers joke sure, in The Good absolutely. Place? <laughs> but why don't you clear our, clear our listeners yes. then? So there's an ongoing joke about, like, this test that you take to uh, determine <laughs> if you are, belong in the bad place. And there's a bunch of, like, really random, ridiculous questions, like, have you ever had a personalized license plate? <laughs> But one of them has you have you ever attended a concert performed by the California punk or funk rock band the Red Hot Chili Peppers? <laughs> <laughs> he says it exactly like that. Anyway, that's fun. Go watch the show; it's good. Um, 
I have been listening this week uh, to a couple things. One is a new punk album by the band Restraining Order called Locked in Time mm. that very much fits okay. in the same kind of hardcore punk genre that I, we've been talking about for several weeks. So I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but it is good, and I have been having it on repeat. Yeah. One thing that I've been doing this week that might surprise you is going back and revisiting the album Good Kid, Mad City by Kendrick Lamar. Oh, man. It's perfect. It's his best record. So here's the thing. I entered in the Kendrick Lamar canon at To Pimp a Butterfly and have been following him along ever since. And then occasionally go back and listen to songs from Good Kid, Mad City, but have never spent a lot of time with this album by itself. And so I went back and started doing that, and I have a couple couple um, reflections. One, it's amazing. Two, it's very long. <laughs> I was it, like, I was like is. listening to I was like That's twelve true. tracks in, and I was like, this album's still going. Um, <laughs> but no, it's very good, and I and I want to spend even more time with it because I kept finding like bangers that I was like, oh, I didn't even know this song existed. It's amazing. Yeah. I think Sing About Me on Dying of Thirst is his best song. Uh, I show you how to uh, die your thirst, uh, die your thirst, uh, die your thirst. Uh, what are we doing? Uh, who are we fooling? Uh, hell is high. Uh, that's, my, yeah. that's my hot take on Kendrick Lamar. And that's like a 12-minute a song one. that has multiple movements. Uh, but man, it, gets, it just makes the, the, the hairs on my back of my neck stand right up. <laughs> I mean, I feel like so this was good. the song where he was kind of like, basically anointed as the person who was going to take over from the like West coast rappers, right? Like Dr. Dre, um, like Dr. Dre's on like as a footprint all over this for one thing. Um, yeah, but just a huge kind of like pivotal moment in his career. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, this record, it, it tells a story front to back. It's, it's a great one just to like throw some headphones on and, and sit down and really listen to the skits, not skits. Listen to the yeah, yeah. interludes. I guess they're they'd be better called here. Um, but man, what a you know, swimming pools, such a cool song. Money trees is just a killer song. I can go on about. We got to talk about Good Kid, Mad City someday. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely, It'll, there'll be a good reason to bring it back up. I'm sure. <laughs> do you? Okay, last thing. Do you like interludes? Like, are you are you someone who's like, oh yeah, an interlude on an album, or like, do you like the kind of journey as it's interweaved within? music like what do you think about interludes i'm gonna do the caleb gardner patented sigh <laughs> uh so here's how i feel about interludes if they would break the interludes out into their own tracks i would be so grateful because sometimes i'm in for the interludes i think that it tells a story i think that they're doing something interesting think about like all those de la soul records or all those outcast albums that like the the skits are sometimes really fun or they're really poetic or they're really insightful um I think they pull the albums together in really interesting ways. And it's very annoying when these songs come up and shuffle <laughs> yes. and I have to like either sit through a sketch or the sketch is on the back end of it. It's easier in the latter one because I can just toss it to the next song. But like De La Soul is a tough one when it comes up on, on shuffle because <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. I don't need to hear the game show again. Just get to the song. <laughs> so I'm pro interlude, I guess. I mean, I don't necessarily know that, you know, if I was making this music, I would include them. They seem like a real staple of the rap genre. Yeah, I, I've never right? wholly understood why. That's like kind of a blind spot for me. I know a lot about hip hop. I don't know why they're so commonly featured. 
The only thing I can think of is they're literally just trying to make their friends laugh or, like, entertain them or... But, like, that's how I always thought about, like, the De La Soul ones. But then you've got these, like, ones from Kendrick that are actually, like, pretty meaningful. Well, yeah. Like I mean, the, some of them are pretty intense. On the Pimp a Butterfly, when he's, like, having a conversation with Tupac, you're like, what yeah. is happening? Like, so he kind of peppers it in throughout the album. Yeah. So, like... Well, in Good Kid, it happens, too. Like, there's, like, there's a baptism scene. There's, like, people getting murdered. Like, it's a, you know, it's a yeah. story he's telling throughout the record, and... Um, I appreciate I appreciate what he's doing. Yeah. And I and also make it separate make it, it out to the other tracks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel the same way. I'm like, interlude's great, like especially if you're sitting down to listen to the whole album and you can kind of experience it. But when it's woven into the tracks themselves, I'm like, oh God, it's so hard. Well, it's like it's OK hard. Computer, right? Like Fitter Happier is right in the middle of OK Computer. And I will never skip Fitter Happier if I'm listening to OK Computer. But if Fitter Happier comes up and shuffle, I'm skipping it. <laughs> like, just no need to listen to Fitter Happier uh, as I'm as I'm like on a Radiohead shuffle kick. But I'm in. I'm in for you know kind of the left wing okay. nonsense. Okay, last. Okay, last question on this topic. <laughs> Would you, if it was broken out, you were listening to Good Kid, and it, they broke out all of the interludes. Would you create a playlist without those interludes and just would you cheat and, and uh, cut out all the interludes? Uh, maybe. Because uh, <laughs> I'm not always in the mood. I know. know I'm, that's I'm, what I'm, I'm saying. But I feel like that's good then. That lets me like make kind of choose my own adventure. Like, am I, am I, am I listening to the album or I just listen, am I just playing music in the background or something? Because like, I don't. I just don't need an interlude as I'm driving, you know, on the Edens. Like it's just not, it's just not a, a necessary thing. <laughs> Would you? You are, you are why Mr. Brightside happened, Dave. This is it. This is it. The death of the interlude is why Mr. Brightside happened. Interludes are such a rap thing, though. Like I don't. There's so few rock albums I can think of that have sketches or interludes on them. There might be a few, but I can't think of many. Excuse me. I cannot believe. That you are discounting the really influential and timeless album by the band Limp Biscuit, um, Significant Other. Uh, I don't remember. Are there interviews in that? <laughs> sketches? I I have unfortunately, sort of like... unfortunately, there are, and I remember them very well. Nice. I have sort of hate listened to a few of those records <laughs> just to try to remember, and I have not brought myself to listen to any of the Limp Biscuit albums. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gross. Anyway, good times. Now we know. Uh, now we know the official uh, best album for stance on interludes. I guess that's right. We have stances. Somebody should compile them to a <laughs> Wikipedia page. Uh, so Caleb's going to be on vacation next couple weeks. Um, we're still kind of figuring out what that means. You might hear a guest toaster too. Uh, but uh, thank you as always for listening. Um, you know, if you are enjoying this, please share it. Uh, so that people can discover it as well. And uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. All right. All right. Bye. <laughs>